Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it, and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com slash xm. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to a very special edition of SB Nation's The Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and I am joined by Editor-in-Chief Ali Cassell. What's up, boss? What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm so good, man. I'm thrilled because we also have our first-time guest, Bourbon Street Shots contributor and co-host to probably, I, I would think, the longest-tenured Pelicans podcast in town in the know. This is Michael McNamara. Uh, would you say that's true, Michael? Yeah, I'm the old graybeard. I remember, <laughs> gosh, I think the first season we did it, you guys could probably know the year better than me. It was the year the Pels started 11-1, and one, uh, CP3s last year, I think. What year would have that been? 2010? Yeah, I think so. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. 2010. Yeah. Nice work, you guys. Now, we haven't got... Yeah, it's been too long. Yeah, we haven't gotten a pod from you guys since uh, I think the true holiday deal got inked in early July. Uh, can we expect that rap from Ryan Schwan to come sometime soon? Um, I hope so. I think he's going to try to weasel out of it, though. He's going to say something like with the incentives, it could be close to a max, but I'm not going to let him. I, I've given him plenty of time to work on it. Game of Thrones is over, so he better have it ready on the next pod. You know what? I was thinking this might be a good opportunity for him to like phone a friend. New Orleans has one of the brighter rap scenes, so I'm hoping uh, Ryan is just putting it out to the Twitterverse. Maybe you guys can have a, a guest artist come on to the pod and, and do a duet with him. That might be pretty cool. If he could get That's juvenile, I will be, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, there's plenty of them out there. All right, let's get to it. Pels fans, today we are rounding out the roster with just uh, 10 healthy bodies on the active roster. The Pels still have a a bit of work to do and not much flexibility. But before we get to that, I just want to take a moment. I'm in Orlando, Florida right now. I want to talk about, of course, Category 5 Hurricane Irma. We all saw the impact of Harvey last week, and many of us, myself included, felt the effects of Hurricane Katrina. 
Uh, make sure you're prepared. Pay close attention to what your local government recommends. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. We covered that last week. Let's dive right in. According to our friend Keith Smith of Real GM, the Pels acquired a third trade player exception in the Quincy Pondexter transaction that sent our 2018 second round pick and cash to the Bulls in exchange for a 30-year-old foreign prospect, wait for it, Azair Majub, who, again, is uh, not likely to play a minute in the NBA, but fits the need to make the transaction go through. Michael, this is the third player exception in Dell Dems cover, joining the $3.5 million uh, one in the Buddy Heel transaction, the Tim Frazier deal being $2 million. Will you please break down for our listeners exactly how these three exceptions affect our cap and what is the likelihood that any, if not all of them, will be used? Ugh. All of them, I would say very small. I mean, essentially what I would say to break it down for somebody who's not as big into all the nerddom of the CBA as the three of us are, think of these as um, basically ways to acquire a guy on a roster um, that can't be pulled together. They're just, um, I, I don't know, empty slots essentially that would be able to be used. Gosh, I, I never know how to explain this to the layman. Like it's so clear <laughs> to me, but for example, the Quincy bond extra one, the Pelicans could take on anybody's salary. That's $3.9 million or less without giving anything back or giving back something fake, like a fake second rounder or the guy's name that you just pronounced beautifully, that I'm not going to even try. <laughs> um, so essentially it gives them a little bit more flexibility because Dell is just, you know, he's had the free agent market to look at, but those guys are free agents for a reason where there's some guys on rosters making under 3.9 million that if in theory the team wanted to get off of, um, Dell could require acquire them basically in about the same way as he would acquire a free agent. So it, it gives him more options. Will he use them all? I would say very, very small chance just because doing that would put them over the luxury tax, and there is no way Tom Benson is going to improve the luxury tax this year for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in a couple of years. And the stretch provision just, uh, the deadline just passed on Thursday, right, Ollie? Yeah, that's right. That one's long gone. We were all hoping for it to be used, but, you know, looking back on it, I kind of agree with the thinking now. The, uh, it's best to keep, if, I mean, if they legitimately think they got a playoff chance and a legitimate chance to resign DeMarcus Cousins, they really do have to keep those books as open as possible. And as Mike broke, broke down perfectly on Twitter today, the cost of sending Quincy Pondexter seriously just a second round pick um, to get a guy off of our books without having anything hang over the head for the next three cap sheets. I think it's a good move. And that question was from Bud22809. So thank you, Mike, for taking that one. Ali, the Pell sits somewhere, uh, you'll know this better than I, around $4.9 million below the luxury tax and five point four away from the dead. Uh, Bobby Marks would know better than all of us. I forget the exact numbers. Forgive the discrepancies. But of the 13 active players on the Pell's roster, two of them, Solomon Hill and Frank Jackson, just underwent surgery for a torn hamstring and the dreaded Jones fracture that uh, affected and lingered with Kevin Durant, Yao Ming, and more recently with C.J. McCollum and Ben Simmons. This is the fracturing, uh, fracturing of, pardon me, uh, clearly I'm not a doctor, of the fifth metatarsal and is expected to take three to mo- uh, four months to heal. But according to Daniel Salerson, uh, we can expect the Pels to be very careful with him this season. According to 
sportingcharts.com. This is in reference to the disabled player exception. The team's selected replacement player may be signed for a maximum salary of either 50% of the injured player's salary or the mid-level exception for a non-luxury tax-paying team, whichever is less. Uh, Ali, help break this down for our listeners. Uh, You told me off the air that even should this be utilized, you still have to have the space available to sign said player. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the disabled player exception doesn't reduce the salary of the injured player. So that's the first negative. You know, I mean, we still got our salary cap and luxury tax to deal with. So it can, it's only just replacing a, a, you know, a player to the roster, but the cap sheet stays as it is. And once you sign that player, you're adding more salary, obviously. And the Pelicans just really don't have the room. So therefore, that's why I just don't think they're going to use it. I mean, as you said, we've got 10 healthy bodies. So we're going to have to enter training camp with as many as we can get. And with the space they've got, they're going to probably sign two of them. And we got to expect one of them is probably going to be Dante Cunningham. So they're probably not going to be applying for this thing. I just, I just don't see it because it can only be used on one player. And even though we could sign up, what do you say? I forget what Solomon Hills, let's say in case they would use it in him, what is he making? Like 11, 12 minutes. So they theoretically could sign somebody for up to 6 million. But again, we don't even have space for that. So it's not worth venturing a guess on, especially when his mic just broke down. There's free agents, and guess what? They're still free agents. When's the last time we even heard of one being signed? You're not going to be signing any of these guys for any kind of that ridiculous sum of money anyway. Yeah, definitely. Mike, I want to throw this to you. I don't know how involved you guys uh, are with the the Misty Surrey debate. I know Jake Madison uh, doesn't really talk about it, other than he said, if you take your eldest son to a doctor and you have a, a negative meeting with that said doctor, you wouldn't then bring your younger son to the exact same doctor. And the reason I bring all this up <laughs> is because for the third year in a row, the Pelicans are, are coming to opening day down a couple of uh, regular contributors. And while Misty Surrey has only been for the club with the club for two years, having all this happen again, especially with what happened with the Saints, do you think this is going to have a negative impact on the, on the Pelicans just from a storyline perspective heading into the season? Storyline, definitely. I mean, I think if I were to actually chart it and you were to go back and probably track anything, everything, and let's say we had all the information in the world, I think that the doctors did make some mistakes. I think that the the culture in general, I mean, there is no way the San Antonio Spurs culture, even the current Golden State culture, allows Quincy Pondexter to do what he essentially did on his own. So there was problems with the culture. There was a problem with the doctors. I, I do know for a fact that the team has put a lot of attention on, let's say, wearables, for instance, or, you know, bringing in different doctors, different plans, different consultants, really putting um, a, a lot on player safety, you know, reducing player injuries and, and healing. I think that there's so much bad reputation from the past and honestly, I just think the last couple of years have been fluke, insane injury. I mean, even look what happened with, with Hill and Jackson here. This has had nothing to do with the medical staff. So there's kind of this narrative that was partly true because of the insane stuff they've done in the past. And now you throw bad luck on top of it, and it looks like they still have the same incompetent staff. But I, I don't think that's honestly the case. I think the last couple of months and maybe even the last year or two has been all due to just pretty bad luck. Uh, I'll ask you one more question about this and then we'll move on. I don't know if you're uh, 
privy to any uh, knowledge about some of the stuff going on between Quincy Pondexter and ESPN's Chris Haynes. They've been retweeting each other, doing all this cutesy like eyeball stuff to each other about possibly a story coming out soon. Uh, are you aware of any of this and, and what could possibly be coming out the pipeline? So I have known for a couple of years that essentially, um, essentially Quincy Pondexter was, he knew the, he knew the issue. He knew that if he got the test that, you know, he would probably get shut down for that season where they were making the playoff run and the team could act like they had issues with it and, you know, give them these fines and wink, wink. But there was always this feeling that the team was also, I don't know to say happy, but going along with him kind of putting off these tests. Um, And then when they actually got in for the surgery, they thought it would be one thing and it was something altogether different. They, they couldn't believe when they actually got in. And at that point, almost everybody in the organization, even though they had told people he would be back the following season, everybody knew he would be gone at least that season, if not for the career, you know, not for the career. So I think, you know, Quincy is definitely, um, you know, to be held responsible here as well. But I think he's essentially getting ready to imply that the culture and the organization didn't exactly deter him from uh, putting off what he should have done all those months. Like I said before, there is a 0% chance that kind of crap goes on when the San San Antonio Spurs um, or or Golden State or any of those other more professionally run teams to be quite frank. Yeah. And we're seeing something kind of similar come out now with Isaiah Thomas uh, with his, his uh, very well-written, uh, article up on the Players Tribune today talking about uh playing through his his hip tear. Uh Ali, let's let's move right along. Uh the Pels now have gaping holes on the on the wing and uh in my opinion behind Boogie and AD. Boogie struggled pretty heavily with foul trouble, keeping him to a 30 minute per game average last season with the Pels. So getting some help down there should be a necessity. We've gone in depth on Dante Cunningham and pretty much given up altogether on restricted free agents like Jamichael Green and Nicole uh Miritich. But let's start at the three Ali, is the opening day starter at the three currently on the Pelicans roster? No. No, I don't believe so at all. Alvin Gentry's repeatedly stated that he's not really comfortable with three-guard lineup. Um, and we, we kind of saw that last year. The team didn't operate all that well when Antoine Moore had a guard small fours. I looked at some numbers. And at guard, shooting guard, guys closer to his size, yeah, he was fine. And in a pinch, he can guard like a LeBron James or go a size higher, just like Drew Holiday can do. But to ask him to do it repeatedly, his numbers got a lot worse. Uh, like, for instance, the opponent shot a lot better. Um, his offense even got worse. So I don't think that's something they can do. And if you look at our roster, we don't even have many guys that you even want to consider putting at small forwards. And Darius Miller, I, I, from what I've heard, they're not expecting him to be emerge as a starter either. So, no, the guy's definitely not on the roster. And that's why I've been so big talking about Dante Cunningham. I just think that. You know, they're kind of at a stalemate with the contract situation, but I fully expect one side is going to give in. He's going to end up on the team, and he's going to be the starter. Unless, you know, Del Demps can pull off some kind of trade that we, you know, kind of unforeseen, unexpected. But otherwise, it's going to be Cunningham, I think. 
We'll get to that in a second, Ollie. Uh, Chris Mannix just reported a few minutes ago. I wanted to bring this up that James uh, Young signed a training camp agreement with the Milwaukee Bucks. So he's not riding into town to save us. Uh, Disregarding Martel Webster, Josh Smith, Chase Budinger. uh, Michael, who are some guys that you hope the Pelicans are talking to in regard to that three spot and backup big spot? The guy I would be going after right now, I think, is a perfect fit, could shoot the three ball, fits the system, perfect salary, is James Ennis. I mean, he, he was obviously here for a short while with Gentry. You look at Memphis's situation, they got Chandler Parsons, um, you know, they just got, I, I believe, was it, was it Dylan Brooks? Which Oregon wing guy did they get in the draft this year? I know it was one of them, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was Brooks or. Um, but you know, they, they obviously have some wings. They want to bring Tony Allen back. You guys mentioned Jamichael green. They want to bring these guys back. They frankly don't have many roster spots. Um, you know, money is always an issue. So to me, I think they might be willing to just offload NS and maybe throw a, a future second rounder or, you know, maybe you could work something out a little bigger. I know Memphis owes one of their first round picks in the future. I don't know what else would be worth it. Maybe you make them take a Jinsa, um, something like that. But James Ennis, I mean, he could hit the three ball. He's athletic enough. He's familiar with the system. He fits money wise. I just don't see a, a realistic option that's much better. I think he could come in and, and give you the minutes at the three. And then, um, you know, when Hill comes back, if you're even counting on that, he's somebody that could compete with Miller or, you know, just take Miller's backup minutes. So he, he would be the guy I would be targeting. I'd be curious what you guys think about Mike, him. I would love your idea 110% if it wasn't for the fact that Macklemore freaking, you know, got injured. And we don't know what Parsons is going to be able to do, let alone over a full year. Otherwise, I think it'd be, a, yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. Okay, we're down to the fun part. Uh, Mike, we love how creative you are with with uh, trade options on In the Know. Oh, yeah. You offered up a, a 2018, 20, and swap rights in 21, plus I think Etwan and Agenza for Eric Bled. So you gave a similar player package and a lottery protected pick for Jeremy Lin, a pick and a trade swap for Marcus Smart. Uh, we'll dive into a couple more options. Ali, let's swing it over to you. What What guy do you hope the Pelicans are talking to in the trade market, and what do you think it would take to get said person? I think Kevin kind of hit the right idea with his piece. You go after teams that aren't expected to win now or in the near future, and you look at some components like a TJ Warren or a Robert Covington who may be pushed out of a position, even in Philly. You look at those guys that are still valuable, young, and um, are in a contract that the Pelicans bring over with their tight space because, let's face it, these teams don't have enough space for those players. They're not playing on wing. They don't really want to develop these guys because they got other better core pieces they need to concentrate on. Um, I would personally love Robert Covington. I'm head over heels for this guy. I know that Kevin had mentioned something about Rodney Hood, but I just can't see Utah relinquishing him. They're, they're, they're striving for the playoffs. They have, even though he had kind of a rough playoff last season, nobody's given up on the kid yet. So I would look in a different direction because let's say was the Sixers they've got Bill, or Ben Simmons, and then uh, they've got Sarich competing for a minute. So where's Covington fit in there? Uh, you've got J.J. Redick and uh, Fultz in the backcourt. So I think Covington could be something you go after hard if I'm Del Demps. You go ahead and dangle a future first round, maybe a pick swap. Um, I'm kind of less inclined to go after like a T.J. Warren. I've seen the kid play enough to where he's a good scorer. 
He's got some tantalizing, you know, abilities, but I I don't trust him on defense. I think that's the key. If you're going to keep Ehrman, if you want to keep this versatile switching defensive scheme, you got to find a guy that's going to fit and be able to fit in kind of quickly too. So for me, number one, it's Robert Covington. Uh, Michael, do you think in a Robert Covington deal, we might be forced to take back some bad salary like a Jaleel Okafer? Because obviously we'd have to be dumping our own bad salary to get a player like that. Yeah, I I think Covington, I, I read that article, I think Covington would be the hardest to get. I, I get that we look at rosters and look at guys who play similar positions. It seems, though, that Covington is an integral part of their culture. I, you know, I know that we look on paper and see small forward, small forward, small forward. Okay. They'll get rid of a small forward. But if you look at like all the pictures with Embiid or whenever they're out or, you know, any of those guys together, Covington's always a part of it. I know he's still young, but he's kind of the elder statesman on that team. And, you know, you kind of remember the quote when Monty said that Marco Belli is, Bellinelli is who we are and who we want to be or something stupid <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I, I think Covington's kind of that guy in Philly, but they genuinely mean it. I, I think he would be hard to get, um, you know, and, and I think they actually are trying to win. I, I think that Hood might be more gettable. You look at what Utah did just kind of getting rid, well, not getting rid of, obviously they moved up and got a really good player. Um, but Trey Lyles, like they cut bait quick, um, you know, with their guys, they've put themselves in a position so many times where they get to the end of a rookie contract and the guy's not quite good enough to pay big money, but you don't want to let them go either. And they've played that game enough and they're smarter than most teams. I I think they realize that Rodney Hood is not a guy that you're going to want to play, pay 10, 12, 15 million a year. They made that mistake with Alec Burks. And uh, I I think that they might actually want to turn him forward, especially if they believe in Donovan Mitchell as much as they should. He would be a guy that would interest me, but I've been to a couple of Utah games and man, there's a guy right there that I remember one game I went with my wife and she thought he must have been an all-star and was clearly their best player. And then we went back a couple of weeks later and he was like one for seven and then no show and not getting any crunch time minutes. So that's an up and down player if I ever need one. But, you know, the skill set would be uh, would be a match for the Pels for sure. Rather than focus on teams, uh, this is something I talked about with Ali last week, is that the Pelicans still need a three, and we also need somebody who can give uh, b- uh, backup minutes at the four and five. So we still need two players, and we've only got 4.7 room left. So at some point, we're going to have to clear some more space. So rather than target players, what teams would you be targeting, teams who wouldn't be afraid to take on a player like Omar Ashik or Alexis Agensa in, in exchange for, for a pick? The the more popular teams to reference are Brooklyn, who's been taking bad salary all summer, and somebody like the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Um, I, you know, first of all, for, let's forget the notion there's going to be some willing team, you know, give me a pick or two and take Omar Ashik. Uh, it's just not going to happen. It's going to have to be some fortunate situation, I think. Agents is more movable, but again, people I think have gotten a little too ridiculously happy thinking that, oh, he's just making about five million or so. But you know what? Nobody even wants to pay that for a backup center anymore in the league. So moving agents is honestly not that easy. But honestly, the teams you're targeting are the ones that kind of need the cap space or definitely building towards or have some, sorry, 
available space to take on some extra salary who are looking towards the future. So you've already named a few, like the Nets might be a possibility. You got to look at, I guess, I don't know who else is down there at the bottom, Sacramento Kings, um, the Suns, the Pacers. The Pacers, I'm really eyeing. I, they're just not going to do anything. And they've really got to add some more major talent to that team. Uh, otherwise, that's going <laughs> to, in the wake of Paul George leaving, the fans are going to be, you know, going crazy when they have three really bad seasons in a row, which is probably going to happen. Um, uh, sorry, Michael, go ahead, Preston. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to basically phrase the same question to Michael. We used to look at the Denver Nuggets as like this team with a bunch of gettable players who couldn't use any of them. So we used to target players like the Will Bartons on those teams that might possibly be disposable. And now I feel like those two teams are the Orlando Magic and the Portland Trailblazers. The Magic uh, have, of course, like Jonathan Isaac, Mario Hazonia, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon, Aaron Aflalo, Evan Fournier, Jonathan Simmons, and recent draft pick Wesley Wundu, who all kind of, you know, fit into the same niche of, of what they do, somewhere bouncing between like the two and a half, the three, and the four. And the Blazers have Evan Turner, uh, Al Farouk Aminu, Harkless, uh, Noah, Vonley, Zach Collins, and all, all these players who seemingly like can't get onto the floor and the Blazers also need to cut salary. Are these uh, teams that you might target a trade with? I, I mean, maybe if it was something small, like a, a Jensen, a pick for Hazonia, and that way Orlando just gets the cut date and they don't have to make the tough decisions on the team and qualifying offer options if they, they just want to get out of that now. As far as like the bigger ones, the Fourniers, the the Evan Turners, et cetera, I know we're all in a rush to get rid of Ashik, you know, nobody more than me, but I think it's just really hard to take on that salary moving into future years. I mean, you've seen the gymnastics this team has had to do just to stay away from the salary cap or the luxury cap um, this year. Now throw Boogie on it, $30 million on top of that. Like, it's just hard to take on a guy like Fournier at 17 million. And then, you know, if Rondo has a good year, now you're going to have to bring him back to make cousins happy and you're going to have to pay him more than he's paying now. So I think the bigger ones are tough. And the one that, you know, that wasn't brought up that I always am curious about because Mark Cuban is saying for the first time he is ready to go tank. Well, Wesley Matthews is still a pretty good player, and I think he's actually going to be better this year now that he's one year removed from surgery. Would Dallas do Ashik and Ajinsa and a first-round pick, let's say top three protected this year from the Pelicans, and give us Wesley Matthews? And if so, would that be something that would be interesting? That would make them worse, so it would make their own pick better, they take on a little bit extra money, but they take on a first-round pick that the three of us might not believe it, but I think a lot of GMs think is going to be a lottery pick, even with Wesley Matthews added. That's one that always intrigues me, and I'd be so curious to know if Dallas would be interested in that. Ali, Wes Matthews is 6'5", and uh, he's probably a better three than than we have on the roster currently. I think the most comparable player would probably be Etwan Moore. How would you feel about that deal? Yeah, I like Wesley Matthews. He's also, we got to realize, been given a full year to where um, a player with his type of injury needs to come back or needs that, you know, time. It's more than just rehab when you're coming back from major tears and off-season surges like ACLs and stuff. So he's he's far removed now from his injuries. 
And I think, if I can remember, he started playing a lot better towards the end of last season, too. Uh, he got off to a real mm-hmm. sluggish start. So there's signs that he's coming around where he could be useful. Um, but, again, that's another big salary, as Mike just mentioned. If, if nobody's going to take a package of Ashik and Jensen, my God, that's something the fan base should ride over if a GM accepts that combo. But, again, if if somebody's willing, then, yeah, that's that's a good deal. But then that $17 million's on our books. And as you just mentioned, my God, you throw in the, the holiday, uh, Solomon Hill, H1 Moore, and uh, AD. That, that's some tight space. You know, that's almost right at the 125 million, I bet. Yeah, I just did the math, actually. And should DeMarcus Cousins earn the five year, $176 million max that Blake Griffin got this year, uh, it would put us at uh, 119 just with the seven guys we have on roster for next year or right now, that being Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Solomon Hill. Uh, Omar Ashik, Etwan Moore, and Alex- Alexis Agenza. So just with those seven guys right there, we would be uh, right approaching the dead cap. So uh, we're we're in difficult territory as far as adding talent. But uh, going back to the trade exceptions the Pelicans have, there's a, a pretty nice list of guys the Pelicans could chase with the one they just acquired. Uh, we we talked about Will Barton pretty much all season, but. With this this higher salary that Coupon has, uh, it opens us up to a couple of new options. Players like Jamal Crawford, Ron Baker, Kyla Quinn, Jonas Jerebko are suddenly available under those uh, parameters. Michael, do you do you? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but is there any guy in the trade exception market that you're hoping that the Pelicans chase and uh, seemingly just give up a pick to just absorb? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys, like even the ones you just mentioned, we're going to have to wait a couple of months because they have just been signed. I mean. Guys who make that small of a salary are usually on rookie contracts, which that's going to be really hard to do unless a team is just giving them away like Xavier Henry back in the day, um, or they were just signed like a Tyreek Evans, so we'll have to wait a couple of months. As far as those guys, like I said, I, Ennis interested me. Um, I, I don't really, I mean, I can't really think of anybody i mean doug mcdermott but again you know as you guys have been talking about you got to look for teams that aren't trying to win or make the playoffs really look around and look at how many of those teams are not not teams that the three of us know are not going to make the playoffs but the teams that are not delusional enough to think they're going to make the playoffs like the three of us probably think indiana are going to stink this year go ahead and talk to them i guarantee in their minds, they have the potential, and they're telling themselves, "Well, if 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 this guy could work with this guy, and you know, Collison's really quick, and Eladipo is being held down, like all these teams are talking themselves into it." I would say of the teams that really have no plan to win um, this year, I would say maybe Atlanta fits that mold, Chicago and Phoenix. I I really think that's it. Do you guys think that there's more? Then those three teams, again, not what we think, but internally, they're like, yeah, we're going to stink this year. We don't want to win. We're willing to just give up stuff now as opposed to let's go into the season and play a couple of weeks and, and see if we could be that Sun team, Suns team from a couple of years ago that could surprise everybody and win 48 games and be better than we look on paper. Ali, you go first. Yeah, I mean, I think you you pretty much – nailed that little pool that's all there is i would love for the kings to be included because they're not going to do anything but they're so damn delusional you know they're probably mm-hmm. got 
their trophy case already sitting somewhere waiting just to fill it, you know? So no, we can't count on them. Um, I don't think the Lakers are going to do anything. I mean, they've got, you know, but again, see, that's not answering your question, Mike, but yeah, in terms of just the teams that know they're officially out from day one. And you know what? I would love for the Knicks to finally realize that they should be included in that group. Cause I mean, they just got that young was a nicotina point guard. He's going to need time to develop. They've got to get rid of Camaro Anthony and look to the future. I would hope that they would be the next team to kind of look at themselves and say, you know, okay, we've, we've got to just go ahead and plan for the future. Enough screwing around. Yeah, the Knicks are yeah, going to even then. Sorry, go ahead. The, yeah, no, they're, I mean, even then, like you could figure out what all these teams are thinking. They're probably thinking Phil Jackson was this cloud over us, and now that's removed, and we've got this great coach, and we've got this up and coming superstar, and a, a future Hall of Famer. Like all these teams talk themselves into stuff. And even teams like, let's say, the Brooklyn Nets, who aren't probably delusional, they are trying to create a culture. You know, you read that great piece. Who was it? Was it by Zach Lowe at the end of last year? Or it was by somebody that was talking about how the Nets were building this culture and how they're just trying to win games. And, you know, they're all best friends and they're coming together. I mean, even they are going to be trying to win. So they're not going to just give you players that help you do that. I, I think there's so few places you could go where a team is just going to go, yeah, this is a guy who could actually help your team and we're more than happy to give him to you, even, you know, for a pick, because I, I just think most teams want to go in and see what they got right now. And, and that's why usually future first round picks are more valuable and could get you something better at the trade deadline. Yeah. The one I was going to say was the Los Angeles Lakers. Cause I think they're losing their 2019 uh, first round pick. Uh, but of course, Magic Johnson comes out and says that he's expecting them to win and win now. And Luke Walton's probably going to play them pretty hard, but yeah, in the Eastern conference it's difficult because there's, there's so many bad teams that everybody has a legitimate chance in the playoffs. So I, I totally understand your argument. Um, I want to, I want to move on to something, some things that you and Ryan discussed on your, on your latest podcast. And, uh, and just get get your take on how your opinion may or may not have changed since the fact. One of the things you guys talked about was Drew Holiday, if you don't mind me transitioning so abruptly. Uh, the two of you discussed what it would take to make his PER jump up to 20 and join the, the, the Mike Conleys of the league in terms of like mid-career leaps. And Ryan mentioned that if he had a com- com- compatriot, God, get that out of my mouth, uh, to help take the load off, that could allow him to do what he does best and fit into a nice like – Manu Ginobili type role. Do you think Rajon Rondo is the guy to do that? Um, yeah, I think in theory, I, I think that Rondo could get him the ball in spots that he wants it. I think that, you know, Drew knows when he catches it, he could just be aggressive rather than trying to set everybody up. Um, I really do think it's possible. I think at the end of the day, though, it's going to come down to Drew. I, I, I haven't seen that I could recall in any sport now that I think about it, such a talented person that is so in their own head. Um, And maybe Rondo relieves them of that. It's just going to be something that I don't believe until I see it. If I just see Drew catching the ball and attacking, um, I will be very happy. But to me, it's just something where he'll play like that for four games, five games, six games. And then he'll regress and then go back. And then we got to ask, well, what's going to happen if Rondo gets hurt? Does Drew then slide back to the one? And then are we doing that thing where, you know, our guys have to play different roles throughout the season? 
And then when that happens, they kind of get the herky-jerky, okay, well, now I'm supposed to be setting people up. Now I'm supposed to be aggressive. And it's just, it's hard to do that. So I think in theory, yes, but there is no backup point guard if Rondo gets hurt. And again, I, I, I've never seen Drew Holiday be the same player at any stretch of his career for 30 games in a row. So I, I will be skeptical until I see it. And Ali, this is something uh, that we've talked about in the past, and it was so apt that that Michael brought it up. Uh, just being in his own head, that's something Jamel McMillan uh, mentioned on our podcast. That's something Anthony Davis has been quoted as saying. And we've been talking a lot about filling that three spot and filling the four spot. But the player who we really need to ball out this season is Drew Holiday. Uh, what do you think it's going to take in training camp to really just get him to to let loose and be the guy that we all hope he's going to be this season? I hope his first shot goes in. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, think it, I think his confidence was that fragile at points last year. It, Mike's right. It was noticeable. I even wrote about it. I mean, you only had to look at just some typical small breakdowns in his numbers, like, for instance, where he couldn't make a three-point shot one month. He wasn't able to hit a free throw all season after being pretty much around 80% for his career. Um, yeah, I just think that having an off season is going to really help to where he can – I don't know, get his family life settled. Cause obviously it wasn't, I mean, I saw a picture of Lauren still with a, um, um, one of her eyes. What was it? I, I think she had a bandage or something that the Pelican zoo fest, uh, where they have a bunch of auctions in the spring and she still looked far from, you know, even being, you know, 60, 70% healthy. So, you know, that way through on his mind throughout the season. And then, like I said, his confidence issues went to hell and then having to deal with, getting DeMarcus Cousins and AD going, and he probably had to learn a few new plays. And it's amazing how many times he was out of position on the floor, trying to force a pass when all he had to do was take another dribble and he had a, a wide-open layup, um, bouncing a ball off his leg on the inbounds play. I mean, we, we can probably, you know, give 50 such examples. So I think just being removed from that situation, and as Mike said, I think we we can kind of theoretically think Rondo, who's, loves he wants control he's fought with coaches over control he wants to dictate how the offense is going to run where the players are doing and such having that guy which is pretty much essentially the opposite of drew holiday especially on the confidence standpoint i think it should theoretically help that's why you know i think there's just as much hope for that backcourt as there is you can point to their you know lack of success over the last three four years um there's just as much reason for optimism I, I think it's wide open. It really can swing either way, but it's going to start in the beginning. Drew's got to get a guy off to a good start. He's going to have to click with Rondo and the rest of the team for them to enter, for him to have that solid uh, mindset. So it's going to be, that's why I've been so harping on a point. We need a full team to start a season. No, no more of this, you know, we've got a bunch of players. We're going to have to play a little bit out of position while we wait for the guys to get back. They can't start another season like that. Commit. If Drew Holly's going to be your shooting guard, Try and keep them there for the most season, or for most of the season, and that goes with a lot of the other players as well. Yeah, the immediate example that I reference in my brain is uh, we had a tightly contested game against the the Spurs when Kawhi Leonard picked his pocket in the final minute, and then that uh, that mm. final game that our whole season hinged on against the Nuggets, we ultimately lost one thirty four to one thirty one. I think he had two crucial turnovers in that final minute. One time, like you said, he just lost the ball on nothing, just bounced it, and then it just uh, went across the court and out of bounds. Um, Mike, yeah, I want to – had like a wide-open three where he pretty much airballed like minutes earlier too in that game. Yeah, it yes. was unbelievable. 
Confidence is definitely something that we'll need to work on. Mike, let's let's talk about something. I just listened to your most recent podcast again today, and you referenced Ian Clark very early on in the pod. And I was wondering if you had some kind of like backdoor information about it. But uh, mainly you were talking about how his three-point uh, shooting in Golden State wouldn't translate to a team like Charlotte. How do you think it translate in, translates in New Orleans? Um, if played correctly... I think he will get not as many open looks as he did in Golden State. But, I mean, with those two big guys, if used correctly, there should be so many wide-open looks for shooters, um, especially if AD really could learn how to pass as he becomes a, a little bit more of a playmaker and, you know, even just be a secondary passer or um just somebody who could get others open looks. But I I think that he could get a lot of wide open looks, but I think what he would be even better for um, in the system, I I think I've tweeted it out a couple of times, but there's a a breakdown online of basically all of the David West, Ian Clark kind of backdoor cuts and, um, you know, what times that West looked for him. I think that with Cousins and just have a guy always moving. I mean, I cannot remember – Honestly, I've been following this franchise for seemingly forever. The last guy who I really remember cutting and moving off the ball and um, was Eddie Jones. And I don't even know what year Eddie Jones was on the Charlotte Hornets, but I can't tell you another wing or guard that has really cut off the ball that much. And, I, and that's my favorite thing about Clark. So, yeah, I think he could get the open three-point looks, but I think with Cousins and, again, with AD becoming even a a better passer, hopefully, um, I think he could give this team something that I can't remember them having since they've been in New Orleans. That was a nice throwback. Uh, I just looked it up, and it was 1998-1999. So kudos to you for a (laughs) 20-year memory. That's pretty impressive. Uh, It's that sad that they haven't had some. I mean, like, that's who I remember – cutting to the basket off the ball. I can't remember somebody since then. So that's actually pretty sad. Yeah, it's been a hot second. Uh, Ali, I'm going to throw this same question to you. Uh, We've had a lot of timid shooters in New Orleans, guys like Solomon Hill, Dante Cunningham, Drew Holiday, guys who don't really seem like they want to shoot the three. And then we had Jordan Crawford come in last season, and uh, he shot 43.9% from the three and seemingly had no fear, just threw it up uh, almost every time he got it. And Mike thinks he's going to regress this year. Do you think that he's going to continue something close to those numbers, like up in the 40 percentile? And do you think that gives him minutes over Ian Clark? Or do you think Alvin Gentry is going to play both these guys 20 minutes a game? First of all, am I allowed to say something negative about this guy? Or are you going to be cool about it? Absolutely not. I will hang up this conference (laughs) right now. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. All right, man. To be honest with you, I like what he did last season. And I don't think it's, all that flukish as to where it's apparent, you know, where we can count on for sure that the guy's going to regress. Yeah, he was never a good three-point shooter, but you know what? He kind of did really well in the G League and in China. And sometimes, you know, this game is more mental than it is physical. So sometimes a player just has to realize they're actually not Michael Jordan. Sorry, Jordan, but you're not Michael Jordan. (laughs) And uh, when they do that, when they fiddle in the role, uh, they kind of do less and the game settles down. They don't, you know, cause havoc basically every time they touch the ball kind of like Tyreek Evans is the way I look at it I'm still waiting for Tyreek to find that happy niche in life but he's probably not going to but anyways Jordan Crawford I think 
Alvin Gentry's going to use him a lot. He's going to lean on him because they saw what he did last season where he kind of carried that as second unit. Um, he was the only threat out on the floor, really, that was able to uh, set up another teammate or take a shot pretty much from anywhere and kind of make it, you know. So, yeah, I think Gentry's going to give him a chance, but if he comes slow out of gates, then it's going to be full on Bory and Clark or whoever else is hot. But I think that he should explore playing maybe both of these guys. Because Mike said, we're, we don't have a true legitimate backup point guard. Yeah, True Holiday is a point guard, but if from what we're reading between the lines, they want to keep him in a certain role. You don't want to ask him to suddenly go back to 30-plus minutes over at the point. So what we, we need to see is some of these guys kind of uh, kind of like Ollie, what we thought uh, the Denver Nuggets. What's that? Hello? Ali, take a break. Make sure you check Make sure you check your connection. We've got you going in and out. Michael, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, uh, Ali, that? just – yeah, that's much better. Take a break for a second. I'm going to throw this to uh, Michael, and we'll get it right back to you. Uh, Michael, we've got a question on t- on Twitter, Twitter <laughs> from Paul Schrader. Uh, it says, please discuss how we need to trade AD for Amon Shumpert and a pick before the season starts. And, of course, this is in reference to Mike and Mike saying Kevin Love and the for AD, and we've got Vern Thompson saying that uh, Iman Shumpert in the Brooklyn pick was offered for DeMarcus Cousins. Do you think the Pelicans are actually talking to Cleveland about Iman Shumpert, and what do you think they'd actually be offering them? Oh, I mean, there has been different iterations of Iman Shumpert and, and Asha. I mean, Asha has been discussed to Cleveland I don't know how many times. There was one, two years ago um, with Mozgov and others coming back and picks going back and forth. I mean, the Pelicans are pretty firm that if Shumpert's coming, that Ashik's going out, and now let's just discuss basically what's in between there. But the, the other thing that's so curious to me, the more and more I think about this, is, you know, I, I understand people are so mad at national media guys for basically – assuming the Pelicans are going to be bad and that this, you know, AD and Cousins. But it's so weird to me that the national media guys respect AD and Cousins to this extent where they think that they're worth, like, these bounties that are bigger than, say, a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George got. So they think the Pelicans have two guys worth far more than Paul George or Jimmy Butler, yet they basically write off any chance of this team making any noise or going to the playoffs. And it just, it blows my mind that a team with two consensus top 15 players, maybe one who is thought of as a top five or seven, just nobody gives them any chance whatsoever. And I, I wonder if you were to rank the priority, you know, the reasons of why that is, is it because of the guys themselves is it because the franchise is a joke? Is it because they got all excited and watched the Houston game last year and watched them get blown out and forgot about all the other progress they made? But that's the biggest thing for me about all these national media trades is they obviously respect the two guys enough to think that they're worth a King's ransom, but then they don't think that the two guys together will help form a team that's any good whatsoever. And, and that's the part where I get the most confused. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to throw this back to Ollie. Thank you again, Ollie, for being such a good sport. Um, 
the you you said on your last podcast that the Pelicans are pretty much in a direct mix with everyone else after the Golden State Warriors because they have two you know potential top ten players, and yet everybody in the national media, like you says, uh, like you say, have the Pelicans finishing somewhere around seventh, eighth, even falling out of the playoffs. Are are we? prisoners of our own like fanaticism right now are are we not seeing the the the, the reading on the trees ali that, that the pelicans are actually going to be bad are we just too optimistic right now or is everybody else just not paying enough attention i think both sides are honestly right and by the way can you hear me better i'm gonna stop yes. moving around yes I was that's my right. dog out so yeah i think that was my fault <laughs> But, um, no, I think that the, there's every reason for hope. And Mike laid it out, and I, I've been meaning to get this this uh, article out about how you put two all-NBA players that have earned that designation over the last three years on the same team. Um, it's crazy how far back you have to go before you find uh, a set of guys that didn't make the playoffs. Usually you're talking about competing for championships when you talk about two top 10, 15 players. So I guess we got to save that for another day when we can actually first make the postseason. But no, I, I think there's every reason to be more optimistic because you got to look at everything. The, the thing against Anthony Davis in the past used to be he couldn't win. He couldn't carry a team. And we saw him have those explosions um, almost as soon as the second year. Um, you saw that the guy was capable of putting up these huge numbers, but he couldn't like perform down the stretch one-on-one simply because he didn't have that skill. And it's true. He performed best in his uh, – was it our playoff season when Tyreek Evans was out? there and then uh a year ago when drew holiday was out there or the last two years i should say with drew so in the past ad has kind of needed that but you know i've seen some clips of him this uh, off season with his ball handling to where he's not going to be a disaster once he's asked to dribble the ball once or twice um if his passing can even improve a smidge thanks to hanging out with demarcus and all of them suddenly he's become that all-around player that the team needs that you need from a big guy in today's nba and then, of course, you've got Bogey, who does all these things, who can shoot the three. Oh, and by the way, Alvin Gentry, i got to mention this, guys. I watched Scott uh, Al- Alexander's primetime sports last night. And Alvin Gentry swears, swears that AD is about to improve his three-point shot. So let's just say that he's half right, and it's you know, a little bit over 30%. So that's even going to help a little bit. So there's a lot of reason for optimism, I think. Um, but then, granted, it can all still go south. You get one of these guys missing a lot of games, and we've already seen the injuries hit a couple players, and you, you can't run from it. But history is going to follow this team until they prove it on the court. So I can see the both sides of the argument. That's why the national media, like Mike said, they may have tuned in on one or two big games and saw that the duo didn't perform well, or they looked at just simply their record together in games. So it's easy to write them off, and it's, it's very easy to have those questions. But, again, if you look deeper and you see where they've progressed, what holes they've filled, how it should fit, they've got now an assistant coach that should make everything flow better. I mean, I'm still in, in awe of how well the Denver Nuggets play. And it wasn't just Jokic. Everybody thinks Nikola Jokic made that team run. He did. He was a central figure, but these other guys had to do the cuts. They still had to get open, make the shots. Nikola wasn't doing that for everybody. So I think having Finch over here is going to be a big deal. There's a lot of things that still give hope, despite the fact we've already lost Solomon Hill, what's probably going to be the full year. Ollie, Mike, that can would... I jump in and ask yeah, a quick absolutely. question off of that? Uh, imagine a scenario in which the Bills finish with the same exact record, and then this offseason on draft night, they trade Buddy and the 10th pick for DeMarcus Cousins. Do you think that the national media – for the most part, would have the same exact 
projection of the Pelicans' upcoming season, or would it be an exciting new thing and uh, they would have us right now sitting around the 4-5 seed like they do with OKC? I'm going to take this one before you, Ali, just because I have a strong opinion on it. I think the national media remembers the first 10 games where it didn't work, where uh, DeMarcus Cousins was constantly in foul trouble, and the second that he came out of the lineup, I think, was our first win against Sacramento when he fouled out. And then, of course, Solomon Hill exploded against the Rockets uh, when he scored 30 uh, 30 points and got seven and six or whatever career night he had. And then uh, we destroyed the Nuggets without DeMarcus Cousins. The really only signature big victory we had with Boogie, uh, as I recall, was Portland Trailblazers whenever he threw up that fantastic alley-oop to to Anthony Davis. I think the final score was something around 179. But other than that, I don't really recall a lot of domination between the two guys against any other teams. Ollie, do you remember it differently? Yeah, they did Memphis start coming team? together better, Preston. Don't you remember the Memphis Grizzlies game? I think uh, yeah. the, the the duo, I mean, Cousins was a, a beast. Gasol could not do anything against them. I think that's the game where Cousins went for over 40 points or something like that. That's um, right. I think they did come back a lot together or play better later on. But as you mentioned, they started off poorly. And I think everybody's also forgetting the fact that Cousins wasn't 100%. They're making fun of a guy, calling him lazy or out of shape for getting across half court. And admit it, we all kind of were too when he would then, after eight seconds, has run off the clock. He's sitting up behind the three-point line to jack up a three. So, yeah, that kind of bothered us all too. But then learning his Achilles was kind of a problem. The fact that he, he can't go down and post up when AD is kind of operating all around you know, inside the three-point arc. So there were so many growing pains. So, I, I mean, yeah, long story short, I, I saw promise. I saw improvement. And uh, don't forget, these guys were surrounded by Hollis Thompson, Wayne Selden, this and that guy who may not ever play another game in the NBA again, whatever. They didn't have the best teammates. I mean, you got Mochi Yunus coming in there. I don't know if there was one of the – that guy fell off a cliff last year. Um, Etwan Moore kind of struggled. Everybody talks about how high they are in him. Frazier couldn't hit a shot to save his life for at least half the season. I mean, so is this all this going to happen again? No, because a lot of these guys aren't here anymore. So, yeah, let me toss it back to you. I've talked enough, but I, I, I see reason to hope or for hope is, is okay. You know, too many national media guys are jumping all over some of us or, you know, especially some of the real fans and just writing off fanboys, but I just don't think they're looking deep enough. And, as, and to answer Mike's question, yeah, if this trade happens in the offseason along with when Chris Paul gets traded or Paul George, you better believe everybody's suddenly more excited contemplating how wonderful this Twin Towers might be, this whole new look to combat small ball. I, I think without a doubt they'd be a loss for the playoff in most well, people's minds. Your Wayne Seldon comment was disgraceful. He is a playoff starter, I'll have you know. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's have you wrap it up for us, Michael. Uh, tell us, respond to your own question, and then tell us about your, your optimism levels heading into training camp. I mean, I, I tend to believe that people assume the best where they want to. So, like, I don't know why I'd still listen to Bill Simmons podcast, but I do. But you know, if, if you do, you listen to him talk about Kyrie and it's always about how Kyrie's still young and he could still get better at X. It's never that they could get worse at X. Um, you know, every young guy is just magically going to get better. And I think in Oklahoma city, you see the national media kind of doing that with Paul George and, 
yeah, I could see it not working and Paul George being upset, but it could really work and the defense could be good. And, I, you know, same with Jimmy Butler, even though there could easily be spacing issues in Minnesota, people tend to give the benefit of the doubt because we haven't seen it yet. I think that if Boogie was traded here in June, then Drew Holiday re-signs right behind that. The narrative is, look at this big three. Cousins is in shape. AD and Cousins together, they're determined Cousins is in a contract year. This team is going to beast, you know, um, they'd be right there with any of the teams not named Houston or Golden State. I really think that would have been the narrative if it was later. As far as my optimism, pessimism, um, I, I tend to believe that it all comes down to those two guys. I mean, we're kind of rattling off just now some of the terrible guys and even some of the good players like Drew. I mean, Drew had some games where if he was just an average player, the Pelicans win. But there was games when he was like three for 12 with six turnovers. And so, you know, if those two guys are playing together the way they could in a Fitch offense, running a lot of Gentry stuff as well. And then remember, Ehrman's defenses get better and better every year. And we've already seen the Pelicans take one step. I think they could take another um, I think that essentially if they could get enough games played out of the the four main guys on their roster, especially up front, let's say the first 20 games, gosh, knock on wood, those four guys all play and they've played together in training camp and they got some kind of a flow going, I think this is somewhere between a 48 and 53 win team um, with guys basically playing off of AD and Boogie. I think the issues are what they're always going to be with this franchise, and it's the injuries. And it's not just missing the guys because, um, you know, the roster is kind of top-heavy, but it's like I always talk about with knowing your roles and, and where you are. I mean, what worries me is Rondo getting hurt and now Drew having to go back to play point guard because I don't want Clark playing it. Jordan Crawford would scare me. So now Drew goes back there, and now it's, okay, we told you to be aggressive all summer, but now you've got to set people up again. And then three weeks later, Rondo comes back, and then you're messing with Drew's head again and back and forth. I I really think that those four guys, if you could tell me how many games played they each have, I could come pretty close to predicting um the you know the win loss record. I just have a weird feeling that this year is going to be the year where the top of our roster stays relatively healthy. So um, call me crazy, but I think they're a high forties, low fifty win team. I love the optimism. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. Uh, we we veered away from the trade talk a lot, but I was so excited uh, to have you on. There's so many questions uh, referencing some of the stuff you've said in the past that I really want to touch on. So thank you for being such a good sport. Uh, thank you, Ali, again, for putting him on the podcast, letting me uh, pilot this episode. Uh, you guys can follow Michael at Silver and Mac and make sure to subscribe to the podcast in the Noah product of Bourbon Street Shots, where you can find his work, as well as uh, you can follow uh, previous guests, Mason Ginsburg and Brennan Clean, who we've had on this pod. And thank you to Bourbon Street Shots for letting us borrow your guys. Uh, Michael, what what have you guys got coming on to the site in the next few weeks? Can we uh, expect a pod coming up sometime soon? Yeah, yeah, just going to kind of wait on these next uh, couple. We've basically been told that Dell plans on adding two guys 
So uh, we just didn't want to do a pod now and then have to discuss one another. So pretty much going to wait and see who these two guys are and then uh, have a little pod with hopefully a Ryan Schwan wrap um, kind of <laughs> at the end of it after we discuss the players. Ollie, we've got a new article up uh, on Kevin Berrios trade candidates. Uh, when can we expect that Darius Miller piece? Yeah, towards the end of the week, I'm afraid. I want to finish this two superstar piece first. I'm going to try and crank out tonight, and then uh, we'll we'll get Darius Miller up towards the end of the week. All right, thanks so much uh, to to Ali, Michael. Again, uh, you guys listening, don't forget to retweet and share our pod with your friends. We're uh, well over twenty thousand downloads, so thank you all so much for your support and for continuing to hang out with us. Uh, we'll be back in a few days where we'll be having a bit of fun with the Saints Happy Hour podcast host and WWL contributor uh, Ralph Malbro, as well as our very own Trevor Ritchie and Travis Tate. So look for that. And uh, I'm Preston Ellis. You guys are listening to the Bird Calls, and let's go, pals. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com XM. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.